0: The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month. The suitcases have been unpacked, the laundry done, and some of us have caught up on at least part of the sleep we didn't get while attending the 48th annual convention of the American Council of the Blind, which was held in Orlando, Florida. ACB Reports for August 2009 devotes the entire program to the opening address by American Council of the Blind President Mitch Pomerantz, which was given to the Convention Assembly on Sunday, July 5th.
1: Members of the American Council of the Blind are once again gathered in Convention Assembled to learn, to deliberate, and to practice the principles established by ACB's founders this past year has presented a unique set of challenges and opportunities to me and to the other leaders comprising the Board of Directors. Since being elected president almost two years ago, I've determined that there are three interrelated yet somewhat different aspects of this job. Each is important to the functioning of ACB. To a great extent, The officers and directors also participate in the aforementioned responsibilities. Nonetheless, the buck stops here as that old saying goes. The first aspect of the President's job is overseeing the day-to-day activities of our National Office staff. We're fortunate to have dedicated knowledgeable personnel working on our behalf. Activities such as ACB's Legislative and Regulatory Initiatives, managed by Eric Bridges. The Braille Forum, edited by Sharon Lovering. Fundraising efforts handled by Dina Wilson. and management and supervision of staff and office activities overseen by Melanie Brunson. And we can't forget the man up in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, who keeps our finances in order along with our treasurer, Lane Waters. all require a high level of professional expertise, and they all have it. Even so, and I can say this as a former supervisor and manager for over 25 years, everyone needs to know that they are accountable to someone. In this instance, staff is accountable to you, the membership, through me, the President. Since ACB's tremendous victory a year ago in the D.C. appellate court, Judge Robertson, the district court judge who originally decided in our favor, issued his final order requiring the Treasury Department to work expeditiously toward a means of making currency fully accessible. As it turned out, Treasury did not appeal. The order required Treasury to have had a report in hand by the end of February from the consultant who surveyed many of us in Louisville about our identifiable currency preferences. However, the report wasn't finalized until mid-June, apparently because the consultant had some new accessibility options he wanted to test. We still don't know what that report recommends, but we were just informed that it will be made public sometime later this month. ACB will succeed in this endeavor, whether in three, five, or 10 years, blind and visually impaired people will have accessible currency, and the American Council of the Blind can and will be fully justified in taking credit. As I reported at last year's convention, ACB previously achieved an initial victory in US District Court for the Northern District of California against the Social Security Administration. SSA, despite numerous requests from blind and visually impaired beneficiaries, refuses to provide correspondence and other written information in accessible formats. In September, the judge certified blind and visually impaired persons as a class for purposes of litigation and possible damages. In March, Melanie Brunson was deposed by Social Security attorneys in preparation for the trial, which has now been scheduled for mid-September. As in our currency case, ACB has every expectation of success and it's all because of our commitment and our dedication to upholding the rights of blind and visually impaired people. On the legislative front, ACB is once again supporting the Pedestrian Safety Enhancement Act, HR 734, even though we did not introduce it. This bill would have the Transportation Secretary conduct a study to be completed within two years which will establish a standard setting forth the minimum sound information necessary to be conveyed by quiet cars to blind pedestrians. H.R. 734 now has approximately 120 co-sponsors. Recently This proposed legislation was introduced in the Senate as S841 and has four co-sponsors. In March, perhaps anticipating passage of the aforementioned legislation, ACB was asked to join a group established by the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration to participate in a similar research project which is supposed to be concluded by this January. Eric and Melanie are handling these meetings on ACB's behalf. We must address once and for all the growing hazard that hybrid and electric vehicles pose to the safe and independent travel of blind and visually impaired people either through the legislative process or the regulatory process. The approach doesn't matter, so long as we prevail, and we will. I am pleased to announce that on June 25th, Congressman Edward Markey of Massachusetts introduced HR 3101, the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. This legislation will restore the Federal Communications Commission's modest requirements for production of video description to prime time television and extend them to digital TV and the internet. require non-visual access to on-screen emergency warnings, and require all devices that receive and play back video programming to employ accessible user interfaces. Eric Bridges continues to ably represent ACB on the Coalition of Organizations for Accessible Technology, COAT, which is also a prime mover behind HR 3101 as well as for full accessibility to television and the internet for blind and visually impaired persons. I want to mention at this point a brand new initiative related to audio description. In January, ACB contracted with Joel Snyder one of the nation's foremost experts on the subject, to oversee what we are calling the ACB Audio Description Project. Our goal is to expand the use of audio description on television, the movies, and in DVDs, and to raise public awareness regarding the value of this technology. At our convention this week, ACB is holding a describer's conference and training, and Joel will be seeking grant opportunities to promote this initiative. ACB's two outstanding attorneys, Lainey Feingold and Linda Dardarian, were unable to be with us this year. This is the 14th year ACB has worked with Lainey and Linda using structured negotiations to increase accessibility across the country for blind and visually impaired persons. Since last July, there have been five new settlement agreements signed and five new negotiations begun. Last year in Louisville, several members met with Dollar General corporate representatives at a local store. Discussion concerned the training of store staff and those present tested a tactile point of sale solution for the chain's existing flat screen devices. In December, ACB, the California Council of the Blind, AFB, and Dollar General announced that the company would install tactile keypads in all 8,000 of its stores by the middle of next year. Also in December, the Illinois Council of the Blind signed an agreement with TCF Bank, which agreed to install talking ATMs and provide materials in Braille, large print, and audio formats. In April, ACB, CCB, and the Bay State Council of the Blind jointly announced an agreement with the Staples office supply chain to install tactile POS keypads in all its stores by mid-2010 and to make its website comply with the W3C Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. In May, a settlement was signed with Target regarding tactile POS's. Devices will be installed in every store by the end of 2010. A settlement has just been signed with CVS Pharmacies, calling for installation of tactile POS devices and the accessibility of its website. Currently, structured negotiations are proceeding with three high-profile entities. ACB, CCB, and Bay State have been negotiating with Major League Baseball about the accessibility of information and services available on MLB.com. In May... The American Cancer Society agreed to work with ACB in structured negotiations to ensure that its health and cancer prevention information is accessible to us. We are working on braille, large print, and audio formats as well as the accessibility of its website. ACB is also announcing that Walmart has agreed to work with us on the important issue of access to prescription information, including prescription labeling. And we have just learned that Best Buy has signed a structured negotiations agreement and discussions are underway about POS devices in Best Buy stores across the country. Finally, as the result of individual advocacy efforts by a member in the state of Washington, ACB is involved in structured negotiations with the Whole Foods grocery chain about its point of sale devices. The second aspect of the job of ACB president involves the handling of internal organizational matters. This includes the appointment of members to approximately 25 committees and task forces. I'd like to briefly spotlight a few of those committees and task forces with the understanding that the ones not mentioned are doing valuable work as well. At our 2008 National Convention, the Rehabilitation Issues Task Force conducted a very successful workshop focusing on our rehabilitation white paper. They will be hosting a follow-up workshop tomorrow afternoon, specifically addressing the topic of informed choice. That's the Rehab Acts version and ACBs, not the other organizations. Our Women's Concerns Committee will be hosting several timely and informative sessions this week. Earlier this year, the committee established a monthly telephonic support group for survivors of breast cancer. The Employment Issues Committee will also be conducting a workshop as well as a Thursday afternoon job fair. Toward the beginning of the year, the Public Relations Committee undertook the training and mentoring of state and special interest affiliate public relations representatives. So far, more than a score of our members have participated. The board also recently established task forces on health issues and fitness equipment, which I expect to yield positive results as well. These committees and task forces are prime examples of what strong, active committees can do. I'm proud of their accomplishments and fully anticipate this same level of commitment in 2010 and beyond. I would be remiss if I failed to talk about the MMS, Monthly Monetary Support Program, and committee. Participation has been slow but steady during the past year. Last year at this time, ACB and our affiliates received a total of just under $50,000 annually. ACB alone received slightly over $37,000 per year. This year, those figures are a bit over 56,000 and almost 44,000 respectively. During these very tough times, ACB members need to show our dedication by committing to making regular contributions. Please give it serious consideration and complete the necessary paperwork. In response to the recent closure of the Oregon School for the Blind and the pending closures of the North Carolina and Illinois schools, I have established a task force to develop a strategy for providing all possible assistance to state affiliates facing either outright closure or consolidation of their schools for the blind with schools for the deaf. These hallowed institutions are at a crossroads and ACB must do everything possible to steer them down the path to continued operation, not the path to extinction. It took far longer than I had anticipated, but ACB is now offering the Washington Connection en Español. It can be accessed by pressing two when you hear the prompt after calling the ACB office during evenings and weekends. Along with the two Spanish language brochures available as a result of the efforts of the membership committee, we have the tools to reach out to the growing community of Latino monolingual blind and visually impaired people, and we're going to do that. Communicating with individual ACB members is something about which I feel most strongly. I continue to host office hours on a semi-regular basis. Every six weeks to two months, I chat with anyone and everyone who calls about any ACB-related topic for approximately 90 minutes. It gives you the chance to put me on the spot or make suggestions on ways to improve our organization. It is personally gratifying to me to have the opportunity to attend affiliate conventions. Going to state conventions gives me a chance to meet with and speak to members who typically don't come to national conventions. This year, I've attended or will attend eight state conventions. I firmly believe that this is one of the most important things that I do as your president. The third aspect of the President's job concerns managing our relations with entities outside of ACB. For too long, we ceded the blindness playing field to the National Federation of the Blind. However, we are taking steps to assume our rightful place as a major player in this community and those efforts will continue for as long as I have any say in the matter. Since our last convention, Melanie and I attended the semi-annual meetings of NCSAB, the National Council of State Agencies for the Blind. While NCSAB has been dominated in recent years by the Federation and its philosophy of rehabilitation, I participated on a panel addressing separate services for the blind. I took the opportunity to remind attendees about ACB's rehabilitation white paper and to point out that one size fits all rehabilitation as practiced by those commissions and agencies which tow the NFB party line is not what is meant in the Rehabilitation Act by informed choice. ACB is an active member, along with the Randolph Shepard Vendors of America in the Blind Entrepreneurs Alliance, BEA. There are those within Congress and the larger disability community who want to dilute the program or do away with it altogether. Through BEA's efforts and those of RSVA and ACB, we will do whatever is necessary to protect and expand Randolph Shepard so as to provide viable employment opportunities for blind and visually impaired people. This past August, Chris Gray and I represented ACB at the seventh quadrennial meeting of the World Blind Union in Geneva, Switzerland. Marlena Lieberg served as ACB's delegate to the Women's Forum, and along with the former manager, Chrissy Cochran, streamed the WBU conference on ACB radio. The highlight for us was the unanimous adoption of a resolution regarding quiet cars, which we drafted. Beginning almost a year and a half ago, The director of the National Library Service, Frank Kurt Silke, and I have met three times to address issues of concern to ACB members. Based on these get-togethers, I'm convinced that Kurt recognizes and respects the American Council of the Blind as a partner and a significant voice for quality library services. If you read the June Frail Forum, you know that ACB was asked to participate in a cross-disability effort, the Reading Rights Coalition, which was organized to oppose the decision by Amazon Incorporated regarding its own newly released Kindle 2 book reader. You also know that the board voted unanimously to join this coalition. This action was based on Amazon's decision to cave to the pressure from the Authors Guild and the six largest book publishers and turn off the text-to-speech feature on the Kindle 2 at the whim of those publishers and authors. This feature uses synthetic speech to read the written text so blind and visually impaired persons can access the hundreds of thousands of books currently available to sighted readers. Right now, the Kindle is only accessible to persons with some usable vision. In an effort to begin addressing this lack of access for blind people, on June 25th, in an unprecedented initiative, ACB joined with the National Federation of the Blind in filing suit in federal court against Arizona State University. The suit seeks an injunction to prohibit ASU from using the new Kindle DX ebook reader in a number of designated classes because it is not accessible to blind students. This suit is brought on behalf of blind students who will be prevented from independently accessing their own textbooks on the Kindle DX and alleges that use of the Kindle is a violation of both the Rehabilitation Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act. (laughs) With the help of a truly supportive board and officers, state and special interest affiliate presidents and other leaders, but most importantly, each and every one of you The American Council of the Blind is assuming our rightful place as the preeminent consumer advocacy organization of blind and visually impaired people in this nation. We are making tremendous strides toward improving the lives of blind and visually impaired people, but we have much more work yet to do. There are advocacy issues on the local, state, and national level for every ACB member to tackle, support for installation of accessible pedestrian signals, saving specialized state programs and services, and fighting for equal opportunity and our share of the American dream. Please join me in seeing our work through to a successful conclusion. Thank you and take care.
0: On Friday, July 10th, Mitch Pomerantz was elected without opposition to a second term as president of the American Council of the Blind. You can hear his full address along with the other convention sessions by visiting the convention page at acbradio.org. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on Radio Information Services Nationwide, on Side 4 of the Braille Forum Cassette Edition, and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org.